Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our superintendent series, which is brought to you by our friends over at Toro. Among the countless reasons why we go to the course, communing with Mother Nature sits near the top of most lists. And the company most trusted to responsibly maintain our golf environments, Toro, continues to lead the way. Its line of all-electric and hybrid mowers and vehicles do their jobs as well as ever. Better, actually, because their precision, power, reliability, and comfort remain the same. This new breed reduces engine exhaust emissions and noise pollution and increases efficiency and ease of maintenance. If only our golf swings were that productive and sustainable. Follow at ToroGolf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Today, I interview Jordan Kaplan who is the head superintendent at Belvedere Golf Club, which is up in uh, the northern part of Lower Peninsula of Michigan. That's an important distinction that I learned this week. You know, yeah, northern Michigan, I think the the uh, upper peninsula people consider lower Michigan. You know, it's not northern to them. So anyways, he's up in Charlevoix, Michigan at Belvedere. It is a William Watson design. It's a semi-private golf club that offers public play, tee times every day it is a phenomenal place to play golf and jordan has done a wonderful job in the recent years um it was restored by bruce hepner in uh 2016 i believe and jordan took over last year he had been at philadelphia cricket club um and came back to michigan where he was uh from originally and he has done a wonderful job taking care of the place and, and getting it in some of the best shape it's ever been so we talk about just kind of uh, Michigan getting there and uh, his career thus far and Belvedere. So without further ado, here is Jordan Kaplan. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Yeah, but when you were in you were in Philly, you were at the cricket club. When this job came up, like when you came out to interview, were you just had you been here before? You know what what was? Uh... Yeah, so um, you know I grew up in Michigan, so definitely coming up uh, up north, I was familiar with Charlevoix. My my wife and I actually were married in in Charlevoix. Uh, there's a, a cool little castle. It's called Castle Farms. So, you know, I wanted to get married in a castle. My wife wanted to get married at a farm. So it, it worked out perfect <laughs> look at, for us. Look at that. Castle um, Farm. Yeah. Did you Google Castle Farm? You know, we just we just wanted something more of a of a destination and it was uh it was a beautiful spot. So I flew into Traverse City for my interview. I knew exactly where I was going and it it, it you know, it felt like I was here the day before. So, you know, it, it, it definitely helped uh, to be uh, familiar with the place and, and it beats beats Philadelphia. I love Philly, but it beats it by, you know, a thousand percent. What? Yeah. What talk about quite a transition going from Philadelphia and, and an agronomy job in Philadelphia to northern Michigan. What's the, what's that been like? 
it's um you know northern michigan's a it's a great place to grow grass. Um, you can uh, uh, afford a mistake or two. Um, Philly East Coast is just just ruthless. Um, it's it's so hot and humid. A thousand things can go wrong uh, during the summer. You know, on the on the flip side, um, while well, while the summer up here might be a little better, easier pace to uh, to manage a golf course, um, I'd I'd kind of compare our winter up here to the summer there to where. In, in the winter here, anything can go wrong, you know, under the under the snow or with ice. Um, but but yeah, just uh, you know, m- you're you're not walking out the door like you were in Philadelphia, and it's it's 85 with with 100 humidity, and the sun hasn't even come up yet. Yeah, you like walk walk outside to lather like you're in the <laughs> Yeah, walk it, you just walk outside, and it's you know here here, here we go. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I love it. Um, you know, definitely loved working working in Philly. You know, despite despite the uh, the the summers and, and and the grind. But um, yeah, it's it's just great up here. That had to be a big tra- transition. Besides just the 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 pace of life from Philadelphia to to Northern Michigan, but like the the club, like a a giant club, like the Cricket Club, three courses. You know, with probably almost a thousand members maybe more than a thousand yeah no you're um you're you're correct in that um yeah the the cricket club was just a big a big uh machine um golf but uh, was also fortunate enough to be um at the the philadelphia campus uh the saint martin's campus where um that that kind of was your country club feel where there was the pool there was tennis uh we had grass tennis courts there and then the uh the nine hole saint martin's golf course did you maintain the tennis course too yeah yeah which is um you know that was that was really cool it was something different um you know i'm still i'm still kind of geeked out by by grass tennis and uh you know, there's a, there's a number of facilities in, in, in the States that, you know, I, I still follow. And, um, was there basically 100% crossover between golf and tennis maintenance, or did you do different things for tennis or were there things that are standard practice in tennis that you could bring to golf? I would say if you can, um, if you can manage turf, you could, you could manage a grass tennis court. Um, the only difference being some of the intricacies with the, uh, line painting. Um, but, but a lot of moving parts. I mean, to mow, to mow an approach on a golf course, you just start going, um, you know, to mow a tennis court, you got to move tennis nets. You've got to, um, you know, then paint the lines after, uh, there's divider nettings between, between the courts. So, um, the, the grass part pretty much, if, if you can do it on a golf course, you can do it on a tennis court. Um, it's, it's just, there's some additional moving parts and, and, a you know, additional running and, and twisting and, uh, traffic that, that, that surface would, would experience. So in terms of, uh, <clears throat> difficulty of maintenance, is baseball field easiest tennis court second golf course third how how would you what's the hierarchy i, I you know i don't I, I think each each presents its challenges and um we, we need an answer you know, we can't have their all top yeah <laughs> uh, you know the thing about the thing about a baseball field or or even you know the little uh you know not little but it was 4 acres of of manicured what about grass. croquet um 
I'd say that the difference between a golf course is you're spread out and you've got, you know, numerous different areas of the course. Um, on a baseball field, you just, you could stand on home plate and see, you know, see the whole thing. So, uh, you know, I think that the, the vastness of the golf course is what makes, what makes it a little more challenging. So just the sheer size of, yeah. Yep. I imagine tennis has got to have be tough because of the running thing. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, so the kicker is in 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 Philly, it's hot. Um, the these courts were predominantly poa, and you know, definitely need water. So you know, the kicker is you on a golf course. If you needed a cut in between a group and you know, sp- spray down the green, you can. I mean, you could still putt on that. You can't really have a wet surface for for tennis players. So uh, you know, another facet of that was just having a a good rotation. Um, you know, rotating the tennis players, knowing, okay, I need a water here. They'll play on this court that, that was watered in the morning and is dry now. So, um, top dress a tennis court. Um, we, we didn't, um, you know, but you know, certainly when we, when we aerated, we, we dragged the cores around. You you aerate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is that like, just like do tennis players react the same way as golfers? You know, the the cricket club, it was, it was nice at the cricket club because the, the tennis courts were used, uh, you know, between Memorial day and labor day in the shoulder season, everything nets was stripped off, off the, uh, the area and it was used for, to actually play cricket. Uh, still, so we we focused our aeration in the in the shoulder season of of tennis, um, but but yeah, you you couldn't you wouldn't want to play t- tennis on a grass court right after it was aerated. Did, were tennis players pickier about their playing surface or are golfers? I, I think it's uh, you know I'll I'll put it this way um, no no tennis at at the Belvedere golf course. And, um, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I guess like tennis players can't complain about, uh, whole locations so. though. That's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the net's where it is every day. So you can't <laughs> complain about the net, the net location. So, uh, you, getting to Belvedere, um, there, this place is a very historic place. There are not been many golf pros. There haven't been many superintendents, What's it like, you know, taking over for somebody that's been here for, you know, decades? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the cool part is since uh, the the club was was built in 1925, I'm the fourth superintendent in its in its history, and uh, my my predecessor Rick Rick Runch was here for 30 years, um, you know, and 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 did did numerous things from when he started to take the course to to where it is now, and it's kind of like a passing of the torch, and I'm going to put put my spin on it and, and, and take it the direction it needs to go for, you know, hopefully the next 25, 30 years as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it always helps, uh, you know, to have new eyes on something. Um, you know, Rick, Rick was, uh, Rick, Rick was a superintendent in a different generation than I am. So, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, a, a, a robotic mower or something. I'm not saying that's what we're, we're looking into, but there's so many things that, you know, that I'm learning now and, and open to um, that ultimately, you know, could, could benefit the golf course. With anything, you look at different generations, like you look at like building architecture, which I think like mirrors golf architecture in a lot of ways. Like you see the trends of building architecture today versus, 
you know, what they were in the nineties and it's like starkly different, but golf course maintenance is obviously changing a lot. And I think, you know, one of the things is less inputs, you know, eyes towards a little bit more sustainability from, you know, what we're, you know, putting into the, into the grass, but then also, you know, a big emphasis on a playing surface rather than, you know, a visual. You you mentioned how, you know, you're different era of superintendent. Like, what are the things that you're trying to bring to Belvedere that that are kind of new to the club in the last two years? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, if, um, you know, wherever you are, you want to maintain the course uh, to, to the membership's um, expectations. And, um, y- you know, it's it's... It was a great golf course when I showed up on on day one. Um, you know, if you did nothing, it would it would be great. We're we're ultimately just trying to refine refine some details. You know, to to ultimately keep keep it in that William Watson uh, v- vision and 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 be as close to that as we can. Um, you know, one one thing uh, popular term terminology fast fast and firm um you know we're, we're definitely trying to be be as judicious with our watering uh as as we can be to get get some of those crazy bounces out there um you know we we host a uh uh hickory event uh the belvedere open every year um we've hosted the uh the u.s hickory open in, in the past before i got here but you know the course uh when they played in june uh, we hadn't had a lot of rain. Uh, it was so firm. It it just played perfectly into what Hickory Golf is all about, and and getting some cool bounces. And you know, if you're lucky, it bounced towards the cup. If if you're not, it bounced bounced the other way. So, yeah, just trying to refine some details out out on the course. Um, but you know, like like I said, if if we didn't do anything, this is a great great property. And um, you know, the greens out here. The green surrounds just just you know blow people away yeah i imagine having hickory like a hickory golf culture like this place has like you're, you're pro marty very into hickory golf like and i think you, you imagine that helps because when people come out and play hickories and it's firm it's such a different experience than when you play hickories and it, it's soft because the ball just doesn't you know, react and move the way it needs to with hickory equipment if it's soft. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just really cool that, you know, members, you know, in, invest the time in, the, in their equipment. I mean, you, you might find a, a golf club and you don't, if it's an original club, you don't know who used it before you. Um, you know, they definitely, you know, w- wear, wear the outfits and, and, and dress the part. Um, and it just, it fits in great for, for the culture here that, you know, Belvedere, play Belvedere, step back in time. Um, what, what could go better than, you know, some, some old school Hickory golf. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about the place is, is like, you know, you go in like the golf house or I don't know what they call it. The pro shop, probably pro shop. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you go into there and it's like they just there's such an embrace with the history of the place and i think obviously i played here maybe a decade and a half ago and you know it wasn't backed in obviously they did the 
restoration with Bruce Hepner where they got a lot of the green surrounds back, but like, you know, getting that playing surface where it is browned out, where like, you know, you look at old aerials and golf courses weren't heavily watered and everything like matching that golf course to the feel of the, the golf shop and, and then the, you know, the old school clubhouse is, is such an important part of, of the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would also describe, uh, Marty's little pro shop as a, you know, museum of sorts. He's got, he's got pictures of all the great golfers who have, who have played here, uh, Sarah's in and, you know, could, could go on and on. Uh, he's always got, you know, this kind of old school jazz music playing in there. So, I mean, really, that that's the experience at Belvedere. Um, you know, forget forget everything else going on in the outside world. Come come play golf here. Uh, get get sucked into it, and um, you know, realize that it's it's one of the few William Watson golf courses in America that really hasn't been been touched. I mean, granted, the greens shrunk, but there there wasn't a a bulldozer brought on them or something. So. So the, the contours and stuff are all there and, um, you know, every, everything that William Watson did with his, with his horse teams, um, have, as, has survived to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a neat property because obviously you have the, you have the ridge that the clubhouse sits on and, you know, some of the, you know, the road runs through it, dividing the front and the back nine for those that haven't been to Belvedere and you've got a ridge that this road sits on the ninth hole, the first tee, and then the 10th tee and the 18th hole sits on That's like the prominent Ridge 17 plays on the Ridge and 16 plays up to it. But then everything kind of goes off that Ridge and there's a low point and they come back up. But like just how simple the golf course is with this one defined Ridge really that everything dictates off of. Yeah. Huge, huge Ridge, you know, to finish, you finish the front nine on it, you finish 18 on it. And then you're kind of winding your way through these ups and downs. Um, you know, I, uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, in Charlevoix is just drive around on some of these country back roads. Oh my God. And I just go, Oh, golf course there. You yeah. could put a golf course there. And it's just, you, you gotta wonder what, you know, what if they decided to go a mile down the road? Would it have been as good? Um, you know, they really, they really did a, a fine job selecting their spot. It's a, so Watson lived in the winters in San Francisco. And he came here every summer. Yeah, right? so um, he he came here for you know twenty twenty five years after after he built it, and um, you know was was the golf pro here. Um, you know, so that that gave him all that time too to kind of see his product and and protect it from being from being tweaked. I wonder how much like fine tuning he did over the years, like how many little tweaks, and he probably never like I don't you know he had he kept decent notes, like you have some hole by hole things from him but like you know i wonder because like ross you always hear about ross lived on you know pinehurst on like the third hole there right and then he lived at essex county i believe up in in boston for a period of time and you you see the holes by his house have like a little bit more pizzazz and this is a golf course that Watson effectively lived on for yeah, summers for I, and the, the greens here are like unmistakably like they're just un unbelievable. Like as potato chippy as potato chip greens get. Yeah, um, you know you got to wonder too. I mean, uh, how how willing were those guys, you know, to admit 
Oh yeah, I did make a mistake there. I mean, they were probably pretty attached to their work, and you know, take take the cricket club for example, the the Tillinghast course. Um, I I believe there were some alterations by someone other than Tillinghast um, not too long after they did it. Um, you know, Tilly probably wouldn't have you know con- condoned any of that. Um, so I. I, I think you're probably right. He was probably happy with, with what he had and, and any any kind of major overhaul would have admitted, hey, you got this wrong or something. That's the interesting thing with today, like an architect builds a golf course and sometimes like they don't even play the golf course for years. Like versus then like a lot of times an architect might work at the club or live at the club or you know built the golf course and was a member you know prominent member like stevie mcdonald obviously had houses at every golf course he built like you know these uh you think about how much architecture changed obviously like ross didn't play every golf course but like with watson living here like it's just such a different dynamic like we don't have golf architects that necessarily build their golf courses and then just spend every summer at them Absolutely. For, for two decades, yeah. three decades. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, a, a labor of love for, for Mr. William Watson, for sure. Yeah, the, I mean, the one thing, obviously, I think like the one glaring thing, the golf course is, is the bunker style. Like that's the one thing that is a little bit missing from like just pure throwback as you come out and, and the bunkers were renovated in the 90s and obviously they probably were like a you know needed renovation of some sort needed work but now you have not really a intricately shaped um they're kind of a you know imagine if i built a bunker it might look like that you know yeah yeah so um we we have old aerials um and uh the 1936 but then some stuff in the 50s so even in the 50s uh the the bunkers you know mimic the uh you know what what we saw in the 1936 aerial so a, a watson bunker um you know around the 60s uh d- definitely kind of you know join join some bunkers together made them a little rounder um i, I think a lot of that goes into play too with it, hey those were easy to maintain well, it, this is the whole architecture thing too, is like that just became like you look at building architecture, like subdivisions came in vogue in the 50s and 60s and like the cookie cutter, like, you know, right. same, right. Like, so that, that's per- culture kind perfectly of. how I would describe the per- the bunkers now, you know, kind of a cookie cutter look to it. Um, you know, that's what happened to every golf course in the sixties. Exactly. Hey, let's put some trees there and, and you know, let's, so I, I think it was at the time it was done, it was, you know, trendy and, and what other courses were doing. Um, you know, you come 40 years later and, um, you're right. You, you step back in time. Um, and, and, and that's the, that's the element that's missing. Um, kind of a cool side note, Bruce Hepner. Uh, was out this summer and and we're doing a little short game area um, off off to the side in an old turf nursery and um, he he was you know definitely experimenting with the with the Watson style so uh, you know that that would be the first step let's kind of figure out what the Watson style is um, it's it's safe to say Watson had some different bunker styles depending on where he was working um, one one kind of uh, comparison that i like a lot um a, a year before 1924 a, a rinda golf club in in california um 
you know, they they did some some restoration work there. And um, I think it's safe to say that Watson's style here was was heavily influenced by by the the California uh, work and and folks he was hanging out with out there. And he, that that look would would fit so well into this landscape too, because it's got you know is it would sit really nicely into the hills, and it would give that kind of artistic flair that would match the the flair of the greens. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so, so we, we, um, you know, we know what, what needs to be done. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into a, into a bunker restoration. There's There's money. There's a lot of things with, with sand and, and bunker liners. We, we won't get into that, but I, I think one of the other things we, we, when we were driving around the golf course is, uh, you know, some of the bunkers are just overbearing in, in the landscape. Um, you know, so I, there, there's definitely some, something to be gained from, from a stylistic uh, changes, um, certainly the playability and drainage would improve in the bunkers. And um, yeah, I mean, if 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 one of the best in the game, Bruce Hepner, you know, could get his get his mini X bucket on uh, some of that stuff, it'd be amazing. But you know, one one step at a time. You know, we we also don't want to get a, ahead of ourselves because, like we did say, I mean, regardless of bunkers or, or or this or that, you know, it's it's all about the greens out here. You know, so. So we'll keep on it. We'll we'll be well, getting there. I think that's a cool way to do it too. Is like you get the short game area. It gives like members a chance to see. You know, like I think it's really hard for a lot of times people to envision what something might look like unless somebody does like a very intricate Photoshop rendering. Right. Or, but right. like you know, for somebody to be able to go out, play in it, and like hit shots out of it, and also look at it it just does wonders for the, you know, them being able to say, oh, we're going to do bunkers like this out on the golf course. Right. And I, I truly believe, you know, shapers like Bruce and, and others, um, while, while they can put something on a plan, I think they do their best work when they just roll up to the bunker. And, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to describe it as winging it. They certainly know what, what they're doing, but you know, let the, let the juices flow out in the field. Um, and, and it'd be really hard to, to kind of, unless you're an excellent artist to, to draw what that bunker looks like. You, so I, I, I think we're on the right track. I mean, we're going to have a, a, a bunker that you can get your, get your feet in and, and play around in. We'll try some different bunker sands and, um, you know, go, go from there. But, um, yeah, it, it was just really cool to watch him, watch him go. He actually, he dug the bunkers out and then he shaped a couple of green pads and he actually said, I've never, I've never built a green with a mini excavator before. This is this is kind of cool. Um, I'm not saying he would switch to just doing it that way in the future, but um, yeah, he was definitely kind of in the zone and and making it happen. I, one of my favorite things was that you're you're very like I'm a big self deprecator of myself, and I love that we pulled up to the your your new chipping green. He said this this I built this bunker is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean just uh, just being honest, but. Um, you know the 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 difference between you know the the professionals and and myself is yeah they don't they don't make mistakes you know you have a staff of 10 or so people like there's a there's definitely a balance of like what can we do in house versus make sense to uh outsource right right um yeah i mean tree tree work for example um you know we we do a lot of that in house um 
you know, but but we know too when to wave the white flag and hey, this is a little this is a little crazy. Let's bring in the professionals. How big is it a tree? This? How, it, it's not necessarily the size. It's kind of like what's going on up top. What's you know where it's uh, where it's leaning. Um, you know, I'm I'm scared to death of of willow trees. Um, that's got to be done by a professional from from the top down. Yeah. So that's a, that like. When there's more going on up top, that's when you have to start up top. You can't just cut it at the yeah, base. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's 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 awesome to be able to 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 do things yourself out here and and be self you know self sufficient. Um, you know, you also you got to know when to call them in. Um, you know, at the cricket club, we uh, we laid like a mile of of brick paths walk paths around the around the club and we did it all ourselves in house um you know it, the savings on that to have a contractor do it just i think just, everybody can relate to that that's ever done like a, a house project and and they turned out you know they turned out great now for a quick word from our sponsor toro For more than a century, with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its local dedicated distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Now back to Jordan Kaplan. Um, talking about winter, a like is everybody talks about winter being awful here from just a living standpoint. I kind of disagree. I think there's stuff to do. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I mean a hundred percent. You know, skiing, snowboarding. Uh, there's a cool little. Little just slope in town with uh, tow ropes for for kids to use. Uh, the Boeing resorts, um, which aren't too far away. I mean, that's that's probably classified as the best skiing up in, uh, you know, this part of the in the Midwest. The, in the Midwest, which um, is like be- below average. To yeah, me, you yeah. Know, before any ski snobs. So there's, I mean, it's it's what you make of it. Um, you know, I guess my biggest thing is it it can snow as much as it wants up here. Snow living in you know, in an inner city like Chicago or Philadelphia is just miserable. Um, so it just after like two days, it turns to brown. Yeah. Ice. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll take the snow as long as you're in the right in the right setting and and you have some good good outlets to, you know, enjoy it. Um, what do you what are you what are you doing in the winter? Like, what's that look like? You said that's that when you have to be really careful with ice and such and damage on the greens. How do you monitor that like what's a recipe for something that you really need to be worried about yeah i mean the 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 best is um you know when you just have kind of a light fluffy snow on there even if it's a foot deep um you know that snow's got you know poor spaces in it and and all good the 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 nightmare scenario is if you get a meltdown and then you get an ice layer that forms you, you don't want your grass to be uh, essentially creates like a impermeable with, surface that yeah yep. the grass can't breathe right yep. the snow the snow itself is nice um you know protection from from wind and 
and and everything else in fact you know this this spring our snow melted pretty early and uh it got it got pretty hot and uh you know for that time of year and and windy and and things were drying out before the irrigation system was turned on so you know to to have had that snow cover for an extra two weeks would actually been you know favorable uh to to just protect the protect the grass um so yeah i do a lot of um you know i'll 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 walk around i'll get some snowshoes on and 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 walk around the course just kind of check on things um i know how much harder is it to walk with snowshoes it's um i think it beats it beats going in is it like 1.5 times walking or you know like I, i think it uh if anything, it's a good it's a good workout. It beats you know sinking down a well. A foot obviously, into the snow. it's better. You know they exist for a reason. But like you know, are we talking like what's the strain level versus walking on just grass? Like, you, you you feel the burn. Yeah, you feel the burn. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you might be in better shape in the winter you, than you, you, yeah. That's a good that's a good point. Um, you know, you you almost need to get get yourself in pre winter pre-winter shape for that you gotta start walking snowshoes with on the grass yeah now if i if i wanted to get fancy maybe someday i'll buy myself a snowmobile um and Ah. and drive that around but i also don't want i wouldn't want anybody driving by to see me on that because you know they might think oh it's a new new snowmobile park at, at the belvedere so um and then you wouldn't get all the exercise right 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 so so with the uh you know with the, I wonder if global warming, obviously like everywhere is getting hotter. So like, do you think like that early spring might become more and more of a, a thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, have you talked to Rick at all about like how it changed over his career? I think, um, he, the, the bottom line is living on Lake Michigan is you, you never know what you're going to get with, <laughs> with the amount of snowfall. Um, and, um, it's for me it's just really hard to keep track of what is normal now you know um even even in philly uh to say hey this this is the hottest year ever and you're like well last year was pretty hot or uh-huh. um so it's it's tough the big issue um around here is uh when when the lake levels start to rise and um you know there's a lot of beautiful homes on lake charlevoix and lake michigan and and maybe not quite equipped to handle a, you know, rise in, in water level, you know, so, so the lakes up here changes in water level. I think that all plays hand to hand in, in the climate that, that we experience here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. In the winter, I always think snow on a golf course, like kind of accentuates sometimes contour, like, and then obviously the trees don't have any leaves. Do you are there things that you've noticed in the winter? Like any examples of stuff that you've noticed on the golf course in the winter that you wouldn't have seen if you weren't walking around? And yeah, I mean that I, that I I love looking at that. Um, you know, snow cover. The other really nice way to see uh, contours on the golf course. Um, it's it's hard to video, but if you if you drive around the course at night with your lights on. You oh, you yeah. see the funkiest stuff going on that you would never see in daylight. Um, so so with the snow, you can also kind of okay. So there's a big snowbank over here. That means that area of the golf course gets gets windswept. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hey, that's why that area dries out because of the wind in the in the in the summertime. Um, so there there are a number of things you know that that you can gather um you know snow snow melted here first in the in the valley 
That means it gets probably a lot of sun, right? Right, right. And you know the the when you're coming out of snow melt, I mean, I'd still consider that winter time. Um, that winter sun is just as important to to the grass as you know sunlight would be during the the growing season. Um, you know, so even even though a tree might not have its leaves on it, it, it very well could be you know hindering some of that that winter sunshine that you know ultimately you need to get the get the place green and growing again come come the season um we had a uh i've been a little spoiled i mean we've had two two pretty good starts of the season um in my in my two years here that 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 i will take um what you took over for longtime superintendent retained the staff like was there you know, what were the things that, you know, obviously you wanted to impart your, your practices, but you have a staff that's been used to, you know, doing things one way. How was the process of kind of, 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 of working and things that you wanted to do? I imagine you can't just be a, a heavy handed approach. Like, yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to commend them because I mean, it, it probably was a little scary. Hey, I've, I've worked here for, um, Rick for for X number of years, a new guy coming in. I mean, and, and in some situations, that probably is what happens. New guy comes in and just clean cleans house. Um, they they were all very uh, you know, willing and and helpful in in my transition. Um, and and I think they're kind of seeing the the method to the madness. Um, you know, if 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 they're noticing the course is looking good and and they're getting some high fives when they're out there you know, I think we're on the right track and they're all, they're all great guys and, and they, you know, come to, come to work and give it all they got. And, and they all care about this place too. So, um, that, that's been, you know, one of the, one of the blessings to, um, to have had the staff that, that Rick had in place and, and, and just make, make, make some tweaks to, to, you know, take it, take it the next level direction that, that we want to go in. You know, obviously Philly people versus, upper Midwest people, it was, you know, coming back, leaving and coming back, you know, what, what are the differences in just working with people in the Midwest? I don't want you to get you in trouble with anybody in Philadelphia. I think all Philadelphians are pretty aware of their, you know, of their personas. Is there, is it, you know, managing people in the two different places, is it distinctly different? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as, you know, work, work inside by side, hardworking folks who work on the golf course. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the same, you know, um, and then membership too, it's gotta I, be a little bit. Different. I think, uh, I just feel like people are a little more relaxed up here. You, you just come, you come and you throw it all away. It's a vacation club too, versus an everyday club. It, true. True. So I, I, I think there's just a little more you know, it's a little more chill up here. It fits, um, it fits my personality. Well, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little more laid back, um, in, in some regards too. So, um, it's, it's just a good lifestyle up here. You know, you, you know, why, why our members choose to spend their summers up in, in Charlevoix. You know, obviously Belvedere is a well-known vacation club, right? Because, and it's well-known because it's public, but then there's all these other ones up here that are just like, kind of like these little places that have some neat stuff going on. And what's the dynamic with like the superintendents up here? Did everybody, everybody kind of, do you guys get together every once in a while or how does that work? Cause you're all at these little Lake town clubs. Yeah. So, um, 
so one thing about so Belvedere, it, I I think this is a misconception, but um, Belvedere is a private golf club yes. that that allows you know outside play. I think the term semi-private's kind of kind of weird. Um, but but as far as the area, there's there's so many great golf courses. Um, there's the the golf course uh, superintendent association of Michigan is is top notch. It's all. Uh, it's all under one umbrella, so everybody in the state gets together, and um, in particular the the superintendents up north um, who I've met and interacted with were just you know super welcoming. I was was obviously an outsider, but you know welcomed me with open arms. And gosh, there's some there's some talented superintendents up here who would be successful at you know in any region of the of the country. Um, so yeah, it's a great, uh, great, great state to be a superintendent in. It's a great state for golf courses. I feel like Central Michigan superintendents in Southeast probably, you know, have just you know some angst about you guys and your growing conditions. Yeah, um, gosh, uh, they like to poke I've, fun or I've, something. I've <laughs> talked to, um, you know, this year in particular, I've talked to some folks in the Detroit area, and they've had a lot of, lot of rain. So I, I mean. I feel for them, uh, for sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good community. Um, you know, obviously up North, we're a little, little farther away from everybody else. So maybe we are a little, little tighter, um, of, of a group. Um, but you know, you can't, if, I mean, talk about a golf trip. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to spend some time in Northern Michigan, you, you couldn't go wrong. I mean, I would, I would hit up Arcadia Bluffs, you know, spend some time at Forest Dunes, um, you know, certainly stop by and see us at, at, at Belvedere. But, you know, if you also just get off the beaten path, I mean, you're bound to discover kind of a sleeper. That's the thing. You, there's so many courses up here. Just stop. Be like, this is why I find myself. I just get off the road and go look. Even if you just go pull into the parking lot and get out and walk a couple hundred yards, you probably see something cool. Cause like you said about driving around, like the land's just so good that like, it's almost hard to build bad golf when you have the land. And it, it, I mean, the playing, it, the sandy soil up here is also, this is sand, right? Yeah. 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 I yep. mean, like, that's the thing. I, I always look at the side of the road when I'm driving down the road to see if it's like sand or not. And then it's like everything up here is sand. That's yeah. the, it's the amazing thing about the whole place. It's just like the, all the little lakes, all the sand bottom lakes, like all the, you know, it's just such an amazing place. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's right up there with any other, you know, popular golf destination trip now granted you can't do it in the winter so yeah go to go to pinehurst then but um yeah it's uh it's it's awesome you know our course is uh there are some sandy spots um you know some of it was cut through a old cedar swamp so that's a little more of a you know mucky kind of soil but it's not it's not really a it's not a heavy clay soil so yeah i mean it's it's uh you almost you could have a golf course every every square mile up here you know what um you did a little bit of a green expansion on the back of eight. How'd you go about that? That like what process did you do to expand the green in the back? There? Yeah, so there was a maple uh, tree that that grew behind eight. Um, you know, through some old pictures. I mean, you know, maybe it was considered the iconic tree, but um, in in reality, that tree wasn't there when when William Watson built that green. He built that green to kind of be a 
you know, infinity green um, that sits up on the horizon. It's um, right up on that prominent ridge we yeah. talked about early, yep. early in the so podcast. So once, once the tree, once we removed the tree, we're, we we basically just took the old approach and started mowing it, mowing it lower. And uh, we've got some, uh, you know, top dressing to catch it up on. And um, so you, you mowed it like scalped it. Yep. Yep. Pretty much scalped it, but it wasn't too, it wasn't too dramatic. And then what do you do? Then you will, like, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, include it in our greens aeration, um, top dressing, get some, get some seed in there. I mean, a, a, another, another thing is anytime there's a void, just, just put a plug in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're getting it to where, uh, it, it will be, you know, look uniform with the rest of the green. It will, um, obviously grow better because it doesn't have the, the canopy, uh, of, of the tree above it. And, um, there, there's some pinnable spots back there that, that we'll be excited to use. Um, you know, we, uh, 2025 will be, uh, our hundredth year anniversary and, uh, we'll be hosting the Michigan amateur again. They, this course was the every year host for a long time. This course, yeah, it was known as the home of, of the Michigan amateur. I think 40, 40 times it will be 40, 41 and 25. We wanted to, uh, do it then to coincide with our, our anniversary. So you're just gearing up for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's coming up and, um, you know, to see kind of what we've accomplished in just a short amount of time, um, we're going to be, we're going to be looking awesome for that. And, uh, you know, can't wait. It's, uh, it's not the longest course that, you know, those guys probably play, but again, I think the greens will keep them honest. Um, if it's windy, you know, good luck guys. And, um, I, you know, having played a few state amps, like I would hate to have to play the 16th hole in a, in a, in a very high pressure situation, oh my gosh, hitting yeah. a wedge into that green. Yep. It's just terrifying. It and could, then could make you, or break you. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you bail, it, it's just the ultimate delayed penalty, depending on where the pin is. Like you might be laying up to just hope to get out of with five from just off the green. Like yeah. it, it is. Well, the, the good news is, um, I will, uh, gladly let the, uh, golf association of Michigan select the pin locations for, for events like that. Um, although I will say you would, you would be qualified yourself to, uh, to, to do that as well when you were out changing, uh, changing cups with me this morning. <laughs> no, no. That's, uh, well, I think that's like the most fun thing to do is set pins. I, I love, you that's have, like why you have all that power in your hand every, well, every morning. You know, I it's, think it's part a of the reason we have all of our events is just so I get a set up, <laughs> set up a, a golf course. I think that's like one of the most fun things to do is, and I always wish like, and I don't know, you know, I don't know any membership or any course that's ready for this, but I always want to have back tees in front of middle tees, maybe front tee behind a middle tee, and you know, change it up. Have people play different places. I think for like a a your back tee moving sixteen up to two seventy would create a very interesting decision. Yeah, for, for long hitters, like what do I what do I do? I don't necessarily want to miss this twenty yards left of that green. And that brings that's what brings into play when you move it up to where you could drive the hole. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I I know you've you've made this point before, but you know, s- switch it up. Um, don't play the same golf course every day. One thing, uh, my my daughters are five and three. Um, my five year old just got her first set of golf clubs, but as she gets better, I mean, in my mind, I'm just gonna play the you know the forward tees yeah. that she plays with you know with hickory clubs or something. 
you could uh, t- take the driver out of your bag. Or well, that's or, like if you're a good player, one of the best activities. Well, you I'm can, not saying I I'm know, a good player. But. I know, but like if any player, this is one of the best activities you can do. Like if you're trying to break eighty. If you're trying to break 90, go play the forward tees and you like probably will get to feel the pressure of like, and it's the same thing for like a good player who's trying to shoot more and more under par is like the best thing you can do is put yourself into a position where you get under par quickly and have to keep going because you're playing, just play the up tees, play the forward tees and just try and shoot as low as you can. Yeah. Or if you're trying to break 90, you're struggling to get over the threshold of breaking 90 or 80, go play like way up and get yourself into the feeling right. like, right. Oh, I'm going to break like your expectation changes and that's a good thing to know? me it's it's still golf yeah. you know it's all golf it's uh it's fun how have you gone about getting your uh daughter into the game has she been really interested because she... that's what you do like i'm at i have a one-year-old and this is something i'm i'm very interested in now is how people get their yeah their... i don't i don't want to be you know pushy on them but um you know she sees that it's something dad does or um you know dad's got it on on tv you know, I I think for her, I hope she loves the sport. But um, if if we spend time on the golf course, it'll be more about you know us us spending time together. But um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, we we started with the uh, with the plastic clubs, mm-hmm. um, hit those in the backyard, and um, she she just got her own little bag with the with the four clubs in it, and she'll just. She'll just walk around the backyard with it on. I, I mean, I think she loves it. She asked, she asked me to get my golf bag the other day and walk with her. And no, I don't. I, I just need this this sixty degree wedge. I don't. I don't need to carry my whole bag. But just uh, walking around the backyard. It, it might be about all the accessories for her, you know. That's that. I think that's the the hands off approach is the, probably the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm excited. I we have this one hickory club. A friend of mine got like a. It was like a, a a birth gift with her name oh, on it. Oh, that's great! And she just sits and hammers it into the under the ground. Like I don't know what to do with the club. Like, is it should I hang it up somewhere? But I just give it to her. And she'll she just... um if, if she knows <laughs> golf is something that you do, she'll 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 do it. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. just to humor me. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um. All right. Well, what's uh what's in the plans for this fall and uh in the winter here? What what are what are your big projects? Yeah, we're just gonna um we we've got to wrap up our little short game project. Um, you gotta get seed down soon, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, this is like peak growing time. Yeah, right? we're we're in it. So um for for sure, you know uh, de- definitely want to want to see some green before before winter out there. And then just uh you know this this uh th- there'll be a gradual drop off of you know membership leaving and um things things slowing down on the golf course um marty holds a fun uh he calls it the blitz tournament at the end of the year and it's it's crazy cups and and everything so that's kind of the last last hurrah in october and then um you know we will we'll have the place to ourselves a little bit get get some things done um you know before the winter and um see, see where it takes us um i'm i'm looking forward to uh you know just just a little bit of peace and quiet on the golf course it's been it's been busy this year i i i love seeing golfers enjoy the place but you know sometimes i i love being out there by myself in the winter too so 
Peace and quiet, and uh, I assume you're a Lions football fan. No, no. That's no, no. um, <laughs> so good for I'm you not, that you're not I'm not Lions. doing that. No, no thanks. Um, <laughs> I, I decided that um, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I, I moved around a lot, so I never truly had a uh, professional team, but I decided when I left Philly, lived there for seven years, that I would stay allegiant to, uh, oh, the, to, Eagles. to the Philly teams. Yeah. Wow. Yeah transplant philly philly sports yeah well fan. i've got too many too, too many hats and shirts to uh to, to go the other way man that's i didn't see that coming you know you know midwesterner turned into a philly sports fan is is, who, a, is quite the heel turn. who would have thought yeah, yeah. <laughs> um all right jordan thank you for coming on uh i'm i'm excited to see you know the next uh next dozens of years that you're here and uh and where belvedere goes thanks so much for having me appreciate it thanks for listening to another edition of the fried egg podcast today's episode was edited by meg atkins as a reminder we have some great stuff in the pro shop one of the, my favorites with fall approaching is our hoodie. Um, we get lots of comments about this hoodie. I would size up if you're in between sizes. If you're kind of medium large, go large. They're a little, they run a little small, but a lot of people say this is like the softest hoodie they own. This is the most comfortable hoodie they own. I agree. I love, I love our hoodies. So I would uh, check that out. It's got the cool alternate logo with the green. Um, and that's available in the Fried Egg Pro Shop. Go to the thefriedegg.com in the top right corner. You can see the Pro Shop link and uh, you can find it there. It's affordable and uh, it's a great hoodie. Thanks and uh, look for another episode later this week about Solheim Cup and really team uh, picking strategy. Garrett's going to doing a podcast with Joe LaMagna, a, uh, a great golf analytics follow about team strategy and just uh, pairing strategy. All, it, really cool stuff. So look for that later this week. And thanks for listening again. Yeah.